This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast, where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. In this episode, I explore the concept of homelessness, toxic masculinity, and a new revolutionary way of bridging the gap between those living in privilege and those living in more marginalized situations with Marco, the founder of The Existence Project. Marco is a creative, adaptive self-starter with an aptitude for social enterprise. Marco has passionately dedicated his energy and skills toward helping those in need. Recognizing the importance of connection in his own life, The Existence Project is an extension of a greater calling to build empathy and humanity within the communities we care about. To contact him, you can reach him at marco with a K at theexistenceproject.ca or on social media at The Existence Project. The Existence Project runs storytelling workshops for marginalized people and community members who care, students, professional creatives, and change makers. Each workshop features a storyteller with a transformative experience of poverty, mental illness, addiction, or trauma. After a group discussion, they build relationship to the story and to each other through a collaborative dialogue, drawing, and writing. By sharing the voices of their participants with the community, they bring hidden perspectives into the public spaces. So, Marco, thanks again for being here today on the show. I really appreciate you taking the call. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, well, the the, the process itself has evolved over the course of the past two years. And so when I started out with the Existence Project, um, I'd come into a phase of my life that was essentially essentially gave me a ton of free time and really was a, was a period of letting go of a lot of things um, that were constants in my life. So it was at a time where there was an end of my relationship. I was moving from Cortez Island, uh, living off grid on a farm, and uh, someone quite close to my family had passed away, so I had to go home. Uh, when I was at home um, after the funeral, I had wandered down to a uh, a park near my house and there was a guy there who had, um, was sitting on the bench and he, I, he and I struck up a conversation and he started talking to me a bit about uh, what his day had been like. And he was living on the streets at the time and he'd walked across town the whole day. I remember what struck me was he'd walk, he'd walked across town the whole day on a broken walker with, with a one wheel kind of broken. And he got into the, his story, which was essentially, about being a tradesman for a lot of his life and eventually getting hit by a car, being too old to have any kind of uh, surgery done on him. So having to self-medicate with alcohol and just this really, really turbulent uh, housing situation he found himself in, like um, not really being able to handle his own stuff. So there weren't really services there to support him. So that kind of sparked my interest into um, learning more about story and getting into the process. And I think to, to look at it from a, from a bird's eye view, I think there's so many reasons why I ended up here in retrospect. Another, another huge component is that just of, my, of myself is I'm an entrepreneur kind of by blood. Prior to um, starting the Existence Project, I was running an electric bike company called Pedal Easy mm-hmm. that I co-founded when I was 25. That structure of just being able to create what you want in the world was so appealing to me and not having you know that rigid time limit to fit within or to have um, 
tell someone to tell you what you can and can't do, which is a good thing and a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, the clock in, clock out. Definitely, yeah. Uh, one thing I'd always wanted to be, or I thought would be a cool job, was uh, being a vice reporter hmm. uh, when I was younger. And so I was like, you know what? Like, I'm just going to start this project. I, I sat down in a cafe one day when I got back to Victoria, and I was like, what do I want to do? And I wrote uh, the Existence Project, a, mo- a movement to connect the humanity within us all. That was my first little tagline I'd come up with. And it's, hmm. we went around the streets of Victoria, and I was doing live like story-based um, interviews with people on the street. Mm-hmm. And my initial goal was just to um, do those do those interviews and create some kind of media, whether it be podcast form or written that I could share and help just give people a bit more of an inner sense of what was happening for folks that were street entrenched. And one of the first things I did is I ended up interviewing First Nations fellow and he was telling me his story. And I was definitely looking more to hear like more um, I guess, incidents of adversity in his life mm-hmm. to kind of, me, I was like, oh, I want to like humanize him, right? And show why he's here. Mm-hmm. And, if people understand that, and if people understand that, they're more likely to be more empathic as a whole. I wrote it up and I ran it by um, a mentor of mine who'd worked with the street community for a while. And she was like, she basically told me like, hey, you're focusing a lot on trauma here. She was right, because I was kind of paraphrasing and contextualizing it the way I wanted to tell it. Yeah. I ended up scrapping that story and just trying to re- evaluate how I wanted to approach this project and from there it evolved into um, I started looking at what a workshop series would look like so I wanted to create a process that could bring people together to connect from different communities one day I was at the uh, the mayor's community drop-in pitching my project while I was there there was an individual there named Ali and he heard me talk about what I was trying to do and he told me hey I've just moved into this recovery house called Anoem and you should come by and check it out sometime. And so for those who don't know Anoem, it's at the corner of Vancouver and Caledonia up from our place. And it's a really cool rehabilitative model um, for people that are street entrenched. They, they house seven men and they basically give them the role of running a service center for the entire street community. And they're supported with staff and in ongoing therapy and a whole bunch of stuff throughout. So is part of the effectiveness of that, the fact that there is a leadership role within it and instead of being sort of the one who's receiving receiving the help the entire time, that it's more of a model that releases that responsibility and that leadership? Definitely. I think there's, there's multiple factors why it's effective. I think giving people identity and meaning and mm-hmm. allowing people to give back to their, to a community is a, is an important thing. But I think equally like the, probably the most important part that I would say about Anoam House is its ability to create community there. Um, because I would say that's one of the biggest problems that a lot of people that are street entrenched have is they're super isolated. Four and five um, of the homeless in Victoria are men. And there's definitely there's definitely a causation between um, the inability to process any kind of um, traumatic event in your life and the developing of addiction and mental health. And I think it, uh, it applies to all people, but I think men specifically in a cultural context have a really hard time uh, and there's and hard time finding space and people to do that with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think anyone does a really good job at that. This isn't really about me doing my project that I want to do. It's about like creating a grassroots project using my privilege and the power I have right now mm-hmm. um, with folks that I'm trying to help. So like First, before I started anything, I started doing focus groups and looking at like what people would be interested in. A, a huge thing of working with folks that are street entrenched is like 
they're so used to transience in their life. And they're also really used to people coming in and wanting to get that emotional tidbit and profiling that part of them, mm-hmm. of them, but not really building genuine relationships. And so the process of me like being accepted into the animal community was a long-term one of going in uh, multiple times a week for, you know, like an eight month period, essentially meeting a lot of the guys there and then eventually running workshops, writing work. Mm -hmm. It's not really the setting for public sharing. You know what I mean? It's like that process is made for that. That process was strong and working with individuals in the workshop. And that was that, you know what I mean? And like it did the, like I was, my initial goal was to like share those stories, but Mm -hmm. it didn't make sense. It was like way too vulnerable. Yes. And it wouldn't have been a healing thing for people for me to, put that that put that out in the open and I myself hired a facilitator uh to run the the workshop that I that I'd helped to design um just to feel what it would be like and after I wrote my story I was like oh god like there's no <laughs> way I want that on like, Facebook you know what I, mean? I do you know I do and I think I think on a really minor scale I mean I've I've been toying with blogging for the past mm. oh a solid year and I've I've done a post a week Mm-hmm. And experiencing that, even that vulnerability, which is obviously censored mm-hmm. um, to a certain point, right? That can yeah. even be scary. And so I can see how something, I mean, this is the core of their origin stories that you'd be you'd mm-hmm. be asking them to showcase. And who would that be serving at the end of the day? What did you do to to overcome that difficulty? Because I mean, at some point, your current project, the way that it is, the existence project is really focused around creating this shared understanding of, of the, the various narratives that, that people experience. Right. Totally. And I think, well, storytelling is the central component in what I'm doing now. And you know, I ended up running that project for about nine months. I ended up, um, instead of running a month of workshops that I was going to do, I was like, okay, I'm going to start running a focus groups. And at this time, Ali, who I'd first met in the mayor's community Mm drop-in, had just finished his stint at Animum House and was moving out. Mm -hmm. And I approached him and I was like, hey, dude, I'm looking to find someone to help me out with this project that I'm rejigging. And like, are you interested in helping me co-design and co-facilitate it? Ali joined the squad and we we developed this storytelling workshop. We employ an individual storyteller and it's someone uh, that has overcome an adverse experience and transformed that experience into... Um, a deeper awareness or learning that they're now uh, giving back to some way, some, some way in society or it's somehow informed their life in a way that's beneficial um, to themselves and to their community. And so um, I only feature storytellers in the workshop that are like extremely far removed from their trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think um, anyone who's listened to a story and connected it can be like, why do you connect to that story? You know what I mean? Maybe it's because you've had a very similar experience. Mm-hmm. You've been through that. Um, and maybe you haven't shared it because you're still processing it. And a huge struggle with, you know, like a huge thing that I think a lot of people hold on to is, is, is shame around stuff that's happened to them. And I think that using it, like listening to someone else's story can help us feel a little less alone in that shame. I'm not asking people to like bear their soul, their soul and get into their origin story, but I'm using it as a relational point for people to reflect, um, creatively, um, on what the relationship is to what they just heard yeah. and what the relationship is like generally in a communal context, because each workshop that I run now has at least six folks from the animal community. So those that are street entrenched or living with 
mental health issues or addiction issues. Um, one artist, one student, and one community ally. And uh, the, the general structure that it takes on is uh, we'll bring in the storyteller. So we've had um, everything from we've had a woman named Hilary Marks, who's a huge advocate in the community, mm-hmm. who was who lived as a street worker for 12 years, mm-hmm. and talking about she, she, you know, she shares her origin story, she shares her experience on the street, and she shares how she got through it and where she's at now. And then we'll have a little question and answer period. Uh, and then I'd like to split people up into small groups and they can, they can speak about it intimately. Ali and I created this, this, this concept called the story box and the story box is essentially, it's taken from the comic book medium. Imagine like a thought bubble or a speech bubble or a drawing panel. Yeah. I introduced those in the latter half of the workshop after people have kind of done a bit of processing and reflecting as a creative tool for people to kind of synthesize whatever learning or information they've taken away from the experience into some, into a form that's like, yeah, more concrete. It's also like shareable with the public. It also is like a distilled learning, which is really important. I think it's like, what am I taking away from this? It challenges people to go beyond maybe the, the feelings and the emotions. And essentially you, if you're able to reflect in that way, and bring it down to a core learning. I think that's a very, very powerful thing. Totally, totally. And the communal engagement piece has been interesting too, because so with the storytellers, we record the story and we create a podcast that we're sharing every two weeks on our social channels. Yeah, we the professional artist will uh, create a piece of art that reflects their experience in the workshop. And it's a that that process in itself has like has yielded some amazing art. But with the student, we've been doing asking for written reflections that relate to their area of study, and then working with the student newspaper as a medium for sharing that back. With the ally, we do similar questions, a little more pointed, uh, based on their profession um, and sometimes their identity if they're if they're coming from a special uh, background. It's been we've been really successful. We're always full. People know about it quite a bit. I know that you've explored the idea or you are, it's it's sort of in the back of your head to maybe take it to a more mainstream, even educational format as well. I, I personally think that would be such an interesting and powerful way of, of bringing this message that everybody has a story and and creating just a different awareness about our own community for our students. I just think that would be very, very powerful. Totally. It's funny you say that just because I've just come from uh, speaking with you, Vic, and we're definitely as an organization looking at how we can offer this kind of a workshop in a public setting. And so we've piloted one version of it at a co-working space called The Dock. And we had it was a ticketed event. It sold out. We didn't do any marketing at all, really. And we ran a similar process with a group of folks from the quote unquote mainstream there um, that allowed them to root themselves in the story of someone with a barrier to inclusion. In this case, it was someone who had a lived experience of homelessness and uh, really a multitude of other issues and ongoing storyteller. And I think that's important from an educational perspective because I think it gives people the, it gives people the grounding to um, have a, firstly, an emotional connection if they didn't have one mm-hmm. and a more rooted reality and story of people that are they often read about in the news or... Uh, for students in an academic paper. Last week I met with you, Vic, um, the Continuing Studies Program, and we discussed the possibility of offering an actual course that would bring in storytellers on a bi-weekly basis into a student environment and then create some kind of a, create a process where students could critically reflect as a community on the story they just heard in the, in the presence of the storyteller. And so I think, you know, 
that that's something that's like a huge thing that's missing from society is like how we're rooting ourselves in the story of people um, that we're trying to help even, you know? Yes, absolutely. Mm. And and I think there's something about story, wouldn't you say, that mm. makes us feel more connected, that we can see ourselves in one another when we can hear those stories and it stops being the stereotype and it becomes mm-hmm. it becomes more relatable. And I think specifically about, you know, middle school age kids or high school kids, they can be really stuck in their own frame of reference, but very, very open-minded and the capacity for empathy in that age group is incredible. We just have to be able as adults to provide them with that. Your work is really incredible and I can see so much potential for it in terms of that age group as well. I would love to hear from you. I know I've, I've done a little bit of digging myself in mm. terms of some of the stories that, that the Existence Project has showcased. Any individuals who really stick out for you, whose stories are relatable and yet they provide a different perspective about probably specifically homelessness but even mm. any other kind of marginalization or or adverse sort of childhood experience oh definitely i think you know like they they all have for me in some way and there's a there's a coin there's a there's a term that gabar mate coined called the called the wounded healer mm. and it's talking about people that do healing work and the reason that we do healing work is wanting to heal our own woundedness and that's certainly been part of this process for me. I think, you know, like we all have things that are limiting beliefs. We all carry different levels of shame, maybe stuff that happened to us in the past or in the, in the present, even that we're holding on to that affects um, the way we live. And every story that I've heard so far has been, has really been a process for me of, of relating my own uh, troubles to that. As far as individual um, storytellers. One one really big one that sticks out is uh, Terry Edison Brown, who's the director of Animum House, and uh, he um, has a, like a really really uh, moving story of being on the street and how he got there to now being the director of Animum House. Mm. And he's a like if you know him in the community, he's like a a pillar for people. He's like a little Buddha. Part of this process for me has been stepping into my own vulnerability, mm-hmm. and if I'm going to be leading workshops that are asking people to share stories and reflect. Um, I think as, a, as someone who wants to be an educator and vocal leader, I've needed to step into my own vulnerability. And I really encourage anyone that's doing work with folks in this way to do that. And the more that I meet people who have, like such as my storytellers, that have really been able to transform that really, really intense hardship in our life, whatever it may be, into something that that has defined their life positively and has allowed them to give back and has allowed them to move on. Uh, it's just like, I honestly think it's the most powerful thing yeah. someone with their life is to own the story and own the hardship of it. Yes, me too. And I think there's something really hopeful about knowing that other people have had hardship too and that they've been able to overcome it. Because, you know, again, if you can see yourself in that story that yeah, it gives you that hope to feel like you're not alone in your struggle. And I don't think there's anything that fuels the fire to survive and overcome more than knowing that that you have people alongside you, whether they stand there in the flesh or if they are just, you've heard their stories and they stand there through their own experience. It's really, really powerful what you're doing. Definitely. And I think one last thing I just want to add is just like, looking like I think with 
I just want to touch base with where I'm at right now and what, what some of my bigger systemic realizations are mm-hmm. as far as some of the problems that we're facing as a society in relation to addiction and mental health. Yeah. Um, and for, for me recently, I read a book by Bell Hooks called The Will to Change. Mm-hmm. And it looks at the way, it really examines the way uh, from a feminist lens how uh, patriarchy and power structures affect men from a young age and cause men in particular to self-mutilate the emotional components of themselves um, to survive, essentially. And so, uh, like, working with so many men in the field, just seeing this, and, and just, like, looking at, like, all these, these bigger epidemics of male violence and, and mental health in men and suicide in men, um, I really believe that there's a huge need for um, spaces and toolkits and offerings where men can develop yeah, just just like just be. Yep, and that and I think you mentioned before too that toxic masculinity having having an impact on on all of those things that that in itself that ideal of what it means to be a man in our society and mm-hmm. not quote unquote measuring up to that 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 can have devastating impacts and mm-hmm. that that's where a lot of those issues that you mentioned kind of come out. It's it's like, you know, you can have some predispositions to mental health, but nothing would exacerbate it more than feeling mm-hmm. like you aren't, you're not fitting in, like there's something defective about you, right? So totally. And even if you have like a good, a good upbringing, it's yeah. reinforced in, in society, you know what I mean? And, and the toxic, like toxic masculinity is a product of the environment. It's not something inherent. Mm-hmm. Men are naturally emotional beings. We all are, you know, and yeah. it's important for us to have conduits to, uh, to process that. Really important. <laughs> what does kindness mean to you? I think the best thing that you can offer someone who is in distress in a given moment is presence, if you're able to do that. Um, and presence in the way of being able to listen, but not bringing in anything of your own into that space. So like if I truly want to help someone, I need to be grounded in myself. So like if you're going to be a healer and you want to be in a therapeutic role, make sure that you're taking care of your own stuff before you step into the room and help someone deal with theirs as well. What does an educator need to lead with in order to be effective? Oh, like vulnerability. Mm. Um, a few things, you know, vulnerability. I also think you need to be, be open to change, be open to mistakes, be open to a process and step into whatever you're doing with like, with vulnerability, you know? I totally agree. And I'm I'm really inspired by your ability to do something that might not work, take a step back, assess, keep what works, and then change what doesn't and keep changing it, keep tweaking it until it feels right. And it sounds like you're really hitting your stride with that. And I just think that's so powerful. And that's, I think, why it's probably gaining traction is that it's aligning with, with what you envisioned. And a lot of that has to do with that reflection and that ability to not have it all figured out. Thank you. And I, and the, you know, I think like letting go of the ego too, and re- recognizing like a lot of our solutions to these programs come to these problems come from people who have never experienced anything that they're trying to solve, yeah. you know, like yeah. try solving projects, grassroots projects with the communities that you're trying to work with. And I'm sure you're going to get something genuine out of that that works. That's right. Because you understand the need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Finally, if you could print a quote on one of those quote cups that are sold in big bookstores, what would that be? Our slogan is everybody has a story. And I would just go with that. Mm-hmm. 
That's really powerful. Marco, thank you so much for joining me on this call. I really, really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate the time and space to talk about this stuff. Where can people find more information about the Existence Project? So you can follow us on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash the Existence Project. Uh, we also have an Instagram channel that where you'll be see, you'll be able to see some photos that we take in the workshop uh, of participant reflections at instagram.com slash the Existence Project. And our website, theexistenceproject.ca, has a library page that's going to be an updated page with um, all of our podcasts, our art, our photographs and reflections from there. So awesome. I think it's such great work. I'm so excited to hear more about it. I want to thank you for the wonderful reviews that you've left for this podcast on iTunes. Your reviews make a big difference in helping other educators find this show. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it if you would take a minute head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I'd love to give my audience a heads up about my new book, which will provide ideas actionable strategies and inquiry-based approaches to creating kinder classroom through serving the community. Subscribe to my blog for more information. Now I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.